Well, it's nice to be back with you this morning. I was here just once before, well, morning and evening, and uh, had a great time. So thanks for inviting me back. And uh, after that, Alec came through to Motherwell. Uh, I ran a meeting tomorrow on a Thursday night, and, and he spoke through that, gave some of his testimony, and uh, shared the Word of God. And we had a blessed, blessed time. You know, I was just thinking about it this morning, driving up here. You know, and it was so, so refreshing. So. Thanks for that, Alec. You know, this wee girl, I uh, remember Megan, I tried to introduce her to this wee girl. She jumped behind me. She's, she's an adult, she's 24, but she's got learning difficulties and very shy. She covers her face and you try to introduce her to a stranger. So that was it. And, and, but Alec picked up on it right away. She was just she, uh, some learning difficulties and that. So, so I'm going to speak this morning from a verse, and it's Hebrews chapter 10. And it's verse 14. And we never, meaning we never spoke about translations. I use the New King James Version. And uh, so I've memorised it in the New King James. So if I'm quoting, I'll be quoting for the New King James. And in the New King James, it says, For by one offering he perfected forever those who have been sanctified. For by one offering... He perfected forever those who have been sanctified. And I see three different things taking place in that verse, three different things coming through in the verse. And I want to speak about those three things this morning. Starting with the the, the first part, part, for by one offering. And that is really speaking of Jesus Christ himself giving himself on the cross, coming, uh, 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 been placed in the, in the womb of Mary, uh, Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jesus coming as a baby, born of a virgin, and grown up into a man, and really, the, his primary purpose was to go to the cross. And the Bible here, the writer in Hebrews calls it an offering, and it says it's only one offering, meaning that was that, there didn't have to be any more offerings. Because leading up to that time, from the time, the Old Testament times, you know, when they began to give animal sacrifices, we see them even giving animal sacrifices way back in uh, Genesis chapter 14, maybe even before that as well. But then in the time of Moses, there was many, many different animal sacrifices. And those animal sacrifices were a substitute until Jesus would come as the ultimate offering and the, 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 the final offering. And it even says in the book of Hebrews that the blood of uh, goats and, and rams couldn't take away sin. So it was really a substitute until Christ came. They had to give these, come with these offerings continually. Then the high priest would even need to get into the Holy of Holies once a year to atone for the sins of the people. But again, it was only until Jesus came. And remember when the first time that John the Baptist seen Jesus Christ, he pointed to him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist was making a declaration saying, This is the one. This is the one who has came to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus Christ gave himself as an offering for our sin. And we know there was animal sacrifices for a period of time after Jesus went to the cross. 
But that was only because they never understood what it took place. Some of them, some of the Jews have, had never understood what it took place, and it was a transitional time. And that, you know, it's believed that God allowed the temple to be destroyed, and it was about forty years after after the cross, so that they could no longer give uh, do animal sacrifices because it had been complete. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he says, "It is finished." It is finished, meaning it is done. I have given my life for your sin. You come, you can be forgiven. You know, and what an amazing thing that took place there. You know, that we can be forgiven for our sin. And you know something? Jesus never wanted to go to the cross. And the reason we know that is because he prayed. He says, Father, if possible, take this cup away from me. What was he talking about? He was talking about a cup of suffering. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that his soul was crushed and distressed uh, even to the point of death. And it mentions the word anguish. And he came to the point where he realised he knew what was in front of him. And he says, Father, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And, but then he says he went away and prayed and he came back and he found his disciples sleeping and he went away and prayed again and he came back again and seen his disciples sleeping then he went away and prayed again and he prayed this prayer Father, not my will be done but yours and it was in the garden of Gethsemane in that place of prayer that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father and he done that for me and for you, that so that we can be forgiven, so that we can spend eternity with him. And the Bible says later on, and again in the book of Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. See, he's seen us today in this church, in Bonus Baptist Church, and he died. He says, I'm going to die for them so they can come in, so that they can be forgiven, so that they will no longer be sheep, without a shepherd see in here today and in churches all across the world you know we we are sheep which have a shepherd you know god has brought purpose into our life is brought direction you know and and you know that's why he died on the cross so that we can be forgiven so that we can be brought into the fold but there's people out there who are like sheep without a shepherd they have no purpose they have no direction and they, they don't know where they're going you know, and God is raising people up, you know, to stand in the gap who are going to reach these people in this harvest at the end of the age. But so, so the first, first, first point is by one offering, Jesus Christ going to the cross. And the next part of the verse, it says, he has perfected, he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. So let's just look at this middle part where it says he has perfected. And what does it mean? Does it mean that we are made perfect when we get saved, that we'll never sin again? It doesn't mean that because it goes on to say those who have been sanctified. Sanctified meaning, meaning changed, meaning to be made holy. So we know we're not perfect because we're still, we're still being sanctified. But it says we have been perfected. And what did the writer mean by that? It really meant that we have been accepted by God. You know, once we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, The just 
shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Meaning the just, those who have been justified, those who have been accepted by God. See, we're not justified one day and we make a mistake the next day and we're unjustified. Once we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ, we are accepted from now continually on this journey. And uh, accepting meaning it is nothing that we can do but everything that he has done and accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Remember that scripture? Uh, it says that him who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, the Bible, the Apostle Paul is telling us here that he says Jesus never knew sin. He never sinned. But we, him who knew no sin became sin for us. In other words, Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He was a perfect man. You know, it was God manifested in the flesh. It was, it, it was man, but it was also God manifested in the flesh, the Bible says. And he goes to the cross, him that never done anything wrong, him that never deserved to, 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 to die on that, on that cross, he takes our place and he goes to the cross and us who are sinners, our sin is transferred onto him on the, cro- on the cross. And it says, him who knew no sin became sin for us, our, our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, we see right here a divine exchange taking place. You know, I've seen a, a guy recently doing this illustration. I don't know if I'll be able to do it right, if I remember right, but he says, imagine this is Jesus right here, you know, and, and uh, Jesus right here, and he's perfect, and uh, he lived a perfect life, and he goes to the cross, you know, and this is us we are sin, and he says it's like a divine exchange takes place, you know, it's like a swap, a divine exchange, our sin for his righteousness. And what that really means is what the scripture says, for by one of them he perfected. He brings us into this place of justification. And it's really not by performance. It's not that that's what makes Christianity different from all these other religions. You know, they believe they need to work for it. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Muslims, I read a book about the Muslims, you know, a Christian book of these Muslims who get saved, and it's all about works. And they think that if, they, if their good works outweigh their bad, they'll get into heaven. But they've no way of measuring that. So, so they, they, they live with this burden that they, they, they just need to try and strive and strive and strive. Then when they get to the end of their life, God will be able to measure it. And they go to heaven if the good works outweigh the bad. But, however, they teach them there's another way. There's another way. If you don't want to take that risk, uh, I read this book about 10 Muslims who had been saved in powerful testimonies or individual testimonies. And what they said is, is there's another way. If you become a martyr, you go straight to heaven. And this is why they're brainwashed. They are absolutely brainwashed. And that's why many of them become martyrs. They don't want to take that risk. They get into the end of their life. And if the good works don't outweigh the bad, you know, they're, not, they're, they're going to go to hell. That's what they believe. But what does the Bible say? They say, say, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved. And that, not of yourselves, 
uh, is the gift of God. See, salvation is a gift just to be received. Not of works, least any man should boast. And it's only to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works comes after it comes out of salvation. It's not, it's not a means to get salvation, but it comes out of that salvation experience. But it says salvation is a gift just to be received. So we never need to perform to be saved. We never need to perform to keep our salvation. For by one offering, he has perfected justification. We are made right before God, those who have been sanctified. You know, and, you know, but see, when we begin to understand that we have been perfected, meaning we have been accepted, you know, we have received that gift of righteousness. When we begin to understand that and get a clear understanding of that, of, of what really Christ has done for us on the cross, it should produce a heart response in us that we really want to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Remember Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the next part of the verse, this verse I'm quoting for Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says that those who have been sanctified. So we see Jesus Christ went to the cross. He was the one offering. He has perfected us, meaning we are justified before God. That will never change. You know, uh, making mistakes or not performing for God will never change that. Because it's based on Christ going to the cross. But when we begin to respond to this, it says those who have been sanctified. Who are those who have been sanctified? That's us. And what does that mean? It means that those who have been justified can respond to God in such a way that we want to be sanctified. We want to be changed. You know, and it's really participating with God, uh, partnering with God, to see him uh, do a work of grace in our lives. See, you've heard the saying, or you might have heard the saying, God loves us the way we are, and that's true. We're accepted the way we are the now. We'll always be accepted in that way because of Christ. But he loves us uh, enough to not want to leave us the way we are. See, part of the, the gospel message, or really the heart of the gospel message is forgiveness. But it is also transformation and really God wants to work some to do a work in our lives where he begins to deal with those inward issues and that is called sanctification he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified and sanctification means really to be made holy to be set apart to be consecrated and that within itself is really having an experience with God a tangible experience where we feel the hand of God working, you know, upon our lives and working things out in our lives. See, salvation, it doesn't just mean forgiveness. You know, that's the first thing it means. But it comes from the Greek word sozo. And sozo means first and foremost forgiveness, as I said. But it also means to be healed, to be delivered, eh, to be made whole. You know, and this is really the outworking of sanctification, to be made whole. See, holy, holiness and wholeness, they are connected. And it's really God healing us, setting us free, and transforming us, and cleansing us, and purifying us on the inside. It's really changing us from the inside out. 
And there's an amazing verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm going to quote it, not for the New King James, but from the, I think it's the NLT. I like, it, I like the way they put it in the NLT. And this is what it says. It says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and which is pleasing and which is perfect. So it's saying that we can be transformed into new people. And it happens by changing the way we think. Right, this is where it starts, in, in, in our thinking, in our thoughts. And the other translations of the Bible say, say most people will know it like this. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Really, and this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven, then we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how does that work? How does that unfold? What is the outworking of that in the life of the believer? Why is it that people in churches all over the land, you meet them and you get to know them, and some are being transformed and some are not? How is that? How is it there's people in churches for decades or even 10 years, and when you get to know them, you feel there's very little spiritual growth in their lives, but then there's others, and God has really marked their lives with his presence, with his life-changing power. And I believe it's all really down to the word of God that we are transformed, really, by the renewing of our minds into new people, by changing the way we think through the word of God. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul tells us again that he... He meaning Jesus Christ, he's the one that does it, Christ, might sanctify, see this word sanctify again, and cleanse her, her meaning the church, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. See, these are powerful verses where it's mentioned the word sanctify, where it's mentioned the word cleanse, where it's mentioned the word wash, holy, without blemish, a glorious church. But what does it say? It says that is by the washing of the water of the word. That word right there from Genesis to Revelation. So how are we transformed into new people? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? The Apostle Paul is telling us it is by the word of God. And a few years ago, I began to see these verses, different verses. You know, there's many, I could, there's many I could go to, at least several I could go to and show you, but I'm only going to mention the ones. And then I began to notice these things in the Bible. And I began to realize, I can take this word and I can begin to read it and read it and read it, and read it, and it will begin to have a transforming effect in my life. It will begin to sanctify me. It will begin to make me holy. See, because people are really programmed. We are programmed by the things we watch, by the things we listen to, 
by the things we take in. If somebody spends, I remember I used to watch a lot of the telly before I was a Christian, and that is really going into your spirit, and it's beginning to shape you, and it is beginning to mould you, and it's really beginning to form your belief systems, and really, a lot of it starts in our thinking. You know, it says you will be transformed. Uh, one of the translations are quoted by changing the way you think. Another one says by by the renewing of the mind. See, everything we're thinking is really empowering our emotions because it's forming belief systems within us. And if we're taking in junk and junk and junk and junk, you know, that's that really needs flush back out. It really needs flush back out to begin to form, you know, a new way of thinking for new thoughts to begin to begin to develop new uh, uh, systems of what we believe, and to be and because the belief systems that we've got will empower our emotions for good or bad. And I believe we can take this Bible, you know, and we can begin to read it and read it and read it, and it'll begin to flush everything else back out, but it's not of God. And you know, uh, other verses I could give you for that would be Second uh, Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 4, where it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's the knowledge of God right there. Bringing every thought, see this thought again, this, this word thought, Bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. So it's telling us there, it's in the thinking again. And it's telling us there's things exalting themselves above the knowledge of God. How do we, how do we change that? What do we do to counter, you know, to reverse that? It's really the knowledge of God. We need the knowledge of God. How do you get the knowledge of God? You begin to read it, and you begin to read it, and you begin to read it, and it begins to transform us from the inside out. See, I watched a guy recently, just died recently, but he really, really impacted me. And he was talking about this concept, what I'm talking about this morning, about being transformed by the renewing of of your mind. And this is what he says, this is what I took out of what what he said. Excuse me, just got a wee bit of wind there, but this is what I took out uh, of what he was saying about, about Romans 12 and 2. He used this, he says it's like a process taking place. There's a process taking place. And that process seems to be very, very slow. Right, so you might relate to what I'm talking about. We can read the word of God and we can read it consistently. And we feel God is changing us, but it's a slow process. But he says if we are consistent within that process, that process will meet will come, come to a place of critical mass. Now, I'd never heard that term before, but I went away and I began to research it, and critical mass really means that, maybe Alec will know what it is, he's uh, quite educated and uh, worked in Raysmouth and is a manager and stuff like that. You're an engineer? An engineer? Something like that, no? And, uh, but critical mass, is it speaks of a process where it may begin along at a certain pace, but then it reaches a point of critical mass where that process really 
begins to explode. And that process begins to take on a life of its own. And he says that if we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the word of God, one day that process is going to reach the point of critical mass. And I was really encouraged by that. Because I've been in this Bible for many, many, many years now, reading it from cover to cover. You know, believing I'm being transformed, believing I'm being sanctified, and believing now what he's saying, it'll reach a point where we'll begin to take on a life of its own, where we're really changed from the inside out. And you know, a renewed mind, when we've got a renewed mind, we'll begin to view things very differently. Rather than see the problems all the time, you know, we will only, you, you know, we'll, we'll really see solutions. We'll begin to have, view things with the way God views them, have a different perspective. You know, the more our minds are renewed, the more we will enter into the mind of Christ. Because the problems will come, and you'll think, well, I've been through that before, or I've been through something like that before, and God has took me through. Rather than anxiety come, you know, you know I mentioned that Jesus went to the cross, and he really didn't want to go to the cross. He prayed that prayer. Father, if there's any other way. You know, and sometimes there's things in life, you know, that we don't want to go through. But God is wanting to face, face things. Face the things that come our way. The Bible says that we are overcomers. You know, God can bring us out the other end. And I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning going through anything. You know, there's any, you know, there's... Uh, family issues going on, concerns, fear, fear about health issues. But what I do know is God can bring us through whatever's going on in your life. God can take us out the other end. The Bible says in Psalms 138 verse 8 that he will perfect that which concerns us. He'll perfect that. Just just one more thing before I finish here and pray. Uh, See, when we, that Bible there, there's over 31,000 verses in it. And some of those verses are promises. One guy estimated, he says, there's 3,000 promises in there. I read somewhere else, the guy says, no, there, there's 5,000. Another guy says, no, there's 7,000. So we don't know who's right, but we know, let's just say it's 3,000 promises. Or 5,000, we'll take somewhere in the middle. There's 5,000 promises in that. See, when we begin to read, how, how, how we begin to read the Word of God, we begin to see what the promises is, are. And when God brings a verse alive to us, when He quickens a verse, and just say that as a promise, it is one of the promises in the Scripture. That means God has given us that promise. And really, when the storms of life come, we can begin to hang on to that promise or promises. See, over the years as I've read the Bible, God has given me promise after promise, after promise, after promise for my own life. So many promises. God would never have given me them unless I was reading and reading and reading and cultivating that relationship. Now, when things are tough, and I've been a Christian for 17 years, and I've had my ups and downs, and continue to have them. God is still healing me, still restoring me, so I've had my ups and downs, many of them. But the more promises God gives me, the more I hang on to them. And I know the future is going to be different. I know God has told me through these promises, I'm going to come through for you. You know, I'm going to do something in your life. I am going to get, get you to where you need to be. That is what he's told me through these promises. And it is the same for everyone else. 
as we read the word of God, he'll begin to give us promise after promise after promise after promise. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you we can come here this morning, Lord, freely and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, this is the time is coming and now as when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Lord, we may consecrate our life to you this morning, Lord, once again. Lord, we may ask you, Lord, to take us to that place, Lord. We will live for you and you alone, Lord. And out of that place of offering our lives, Lord, our bodies as living sacrifices, Lord, holy and pleasing to you, Lord. Out of that place, Lord, of sacrifice, out of that place of surrender, Lord, we will serve you, Lord. We will live for you, Lord. I ask you to bless each person in here, Lord. I ask you to bless, Lord, and, and draw each person, Lord, including myself, closer to you this day, Lord. We would make a decision this day, Lord, that I'm going to draw close to him, close to you, that you may draw close to me. It says, cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lord, take us to that place of no compromise, Lord. We will not get one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the Lord, Lord, but two feet will be in the Lord and in Jesus Christ. Lord, touch us with your presence this morning, Lord, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every family represented here, Lord, that you'll touch families, Lord, in these days. Oh, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our weaknesses, Lord. Draw us close to your heart, Lord. The heart of God, you says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart, Lord. We want to be people according to your heart, Lord, who will feed the people with knowledge and understanding. So, Lord, bless us this day in Jesus' name. And we're going to sing hymn 168, and it is, Here is Love.